0: Nehemiah chapter seven is where we 're going to spend uh, some time together here. Uh, what I would like to do with you let me get there in my bible i 'd like to drop down with you together into a moment in the history of god 's redemptive plan, a, a, a special moment, a, a unique moment and and press down into A moment in time where God accomplished something unique but with that event that God accomplished he laid down in just a few verses some instruction for his people on how to move forward from this significant event and that's the instruction that I want to just convey to you this morning Uh, it's it's a it's a special message for me personally, but I also have a sense that it's a, it's a timely and helpful, it's a timeless message for the people of God. And so I trust the Spirit will use it in you as well. Uh, it's been a part of something that the Spirit of God has been doing in my own heart personally. It's part of a solution of a, just a season that I've been walking through personally, which is a little bit hard to describe, I've tried to f- pull up words like discouragement, weariness, um, depression, I, I just, I, I, can't, I can't find one word, but when I take about six or eight words and put them in the mixer and start working them around, then it starts to smell and look and taste like, oh yeah, that, that's it, that's it, all those things together and and God has just been carrying me through a season like this for 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 many months and I'm I'm so grateful I'm like starting to see little glimmers of hope and I'm grateful to God uh, for that but I but I've been around the block enough to already know from the outset I I kind of know what God is already up to in it which makes me encouraged and excited because I know at some point I'm you know, watching the calendar and watch my watch, I'm excited for it to be over, but I know at some point I'm going to come through it, and I'm going to know the Savior in a more intimate and deeper way, and I know in that process of coming to know the Savior more deeply and more intimately, it's also going to be part of what the Spirit is doing of sort of putting to death whatever aspect of idolatry in my own heart and things that I'm looking to for happiness and and satisfaction and and fulfillment, those things are gonna fall off just a little bit more and my love for the Savior is gonna come through a little bit more deeply and I, I just love that God cares enough to do that for me in my heart and so I'm just filled with faith to that end. The truth that comes out through these verses first few verses of chapter 7 are truths that have been uh, finding like i said a deeper meaning in my life but i also believe the lord has something for us as a church the lesson is quite simple it's quite simple almost embarrassingly simple what god gives us we're called to maintain and guard what god does the event the move of God's spirit, the power of the grace of God in our lives, what God does, what he bestows to us by his grace, what he implants into our hearts as far as his kingdom goes, what God gives we're called to maintain and to guard. In Nehemiah chapter 7, it's a significant moment in God's redemptive history. Let me give you just a brief backdrop. Many years, decades, decades, Prior to Nehemiah chapter 7, God's people were drifting away from the Lord. They kept drifting, and they kept drifting, and they kept drifting, and they kept drifting to the point that they no longer looked like the people of God. They didn't act like the people of God. They didn't look like the people of God. They didn't sound like the people of God. Uh, They have gone so far away from being the people of God And in spite of multiple generations of warnings and warnings from the prophets, their hardened hearts would not heed God's word until a kind of judgment landed on their lap. You are going to go into exile. I'm going to send you away. The the temple that you worship in is going to be demolished. The city that you live in, called the city of God, the walls are going to be tumbling down. It's just going to be a pile of rubble, and I'm going to send you into a foreign land okay so in a sense people of God you're telling me you don't want to be the people of God you you want to be just like everybody else well here you go I'm going to send you out you're going to go into exile but even in that dramatic act of God's judgment to realign their hearts comes the promise of God and I'm going to bring you back okay you're going to go away into exile for a time but I'm going to I'm going to draw you back there will be a day when I'm going to restore you. And that's where the book of Nehemiah comes in. God is calling them back, and he's beginning to lay out the details of getting God's people back to being the people of God. And so he puts it in the heart of the king of Persia, decrees, people are stirred, a team comes back, a construction E-team is sent down to Jerusalem, the temple is rebuilt. First the foundation, then the temple. And we get to Nehemiah chapter 7. We are at the end of now the walls being rebuilt around the city. They just completed the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Let's read the first four verses. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed... I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard post and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large but the people within it were few, and no houses had been built. These verses kind of mark a moment of completion of the wall and then usher into a transition, and so while everything's about bricks and mortar and building the wall, at this point, the transition comes, and throughout the rest of the book of Nehemiah, it's gonna be focusing on the people of God, their hearts, their conduct, their worship, how they treat one another. It's like we're going to go from building walls to building people. But before that happens, to kind of wrap up this this sort of monumental uh, conclusion of a phase of the building, God drops in some instructions. So before the emphasis shifts, now that the city has been restored, guard it. What you need to understand about the whole story is that instruction right there is why all the problems began in the first place. They didn't guard it. They didn't protect it. They didn't maintain it. They let it down. They let their guard down. They, they drifted. And so this few verses that seemingly we could easily just gloss over, read quickly by in your morning devotions, not think twice about it, is actually a significant moment of instruction To say, this is what you didn't do. This is why you had to rebuild the city in the first place. This is why the city was lost. This is why you were no longer really identified as the people of God. This is why you were lost and mixed in uh, with with the nations around you. This right here is what went wrong. This is how it went wrong at the very outset of all the trouble. And so now that God is at work in restoring it, He speaks it very clearly. I'm bringing you back. I'm restoring you, rebuilding you. And now that this is getting accomplished, keep it. Guard it. Take care to watch over it. Let's lay it out like this. Know what God accomplishes. Maintain what God accomplished and guard What God accomplished. So first point, know know what God has given. A major accomplishment, the wall is complete. A great milestone in God's redemptive history had just taken place. Getting the walls up around the city was very significant. We could easily read our Bibles and not think too much about it, but the walls represented the people of God's identity and their security. There's a wonderful little prophecy in Isaiah chapter 26. It goes like this In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Now you need to understand and imagine that completing these walls and having the walls built all of a sudden lays this this picture out of we're getting restored. The city is back. The city of God is getting established. The people of God are now inside a a walled city. Look at what God is doing. It's all coming together. The walls said something to the world. This is where the people of God gather. This is where the people of God worship. This is where God dwells with man. This is where the people of God are and where we're held secure in God's hand that's like kind of what the city was representative of it was important and Nehemiah did it or did he or did he it says Nehemiah built the wall I, I don't know if you realize this if you've been around church for a while the book of Nehemiah is like the go-to for for management leadership instruction Nehemiah is the man. He's he's quite the guy. And if you want to be a good leader, you should study the book of Nehemiah and you should be like Nehemiah. But let me tell you something a little bit different about the theology of the book of Nehemiah. It is first and foremost about what God has done. And this starts back in the book of, of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah were really one combined book. And from Ezra 1, 1, it talks about God, and it lays a theology of that all the great accomplishments that have taken place in redemptive history, ultimately, before and behind it all, has been God himself. He's acted. He's the one who brought it out. Well, I'd like to take just a couple minutes, and I am going to rattle off a lot of verses throughout you don't need to scurry and try and look them up. I'm, I'm, I was going to say I'm not trying to overwhelm you. I actually am trying to overwhelm you. I, I, I want to load you up. I've got about 18 verses I'm going to run through very quickly. And I want you to, to feel the impact of how many times throughout these two books this theology is being built. Because it's meant to land on us like that. If you were to read it for what it is, you'd feel a little chagrin about thinking too much about Nehemiah. And it'd be more suitable to realize what God has done. And this is the emphasis and this is the point. What has God done? See what God has done. So from the very first verse of Ezra, it was the Lord at work. Second verse, Ezra 1-2, Cyrus speaking, The Lord has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and charged me. Ezra 5-1, when they stopped working, it was the word of the Lord through Haggai and Zechariah that got them working again. 5-5, when the workers were being interrogated and intimidated, the eye of the Lord was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop the work. Chapter 6, verse 14, they finished their building by the decree of the God of Israel. 6.22, six twenty two they kept the feast with joy for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king to them. Ezra seven six introduced Ezra as someone who the hand of the Lord of God of his God was upon him. Seven nine, the good hand of his God was on him. 7.25, judges were appointed according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand. 7.27, blessed be the Lord who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord of Jerusalem. You, you picking up on the theme here? I took courage for the hand of the Lord. My God was on me. 8.18, when there were not enough priests, a man came by the good hand of our God. 8.22, when Ezra was embarrassed to ask the king for an escort because he bragged about how the hand of the Lord was with them, instead he prayed, and God heard, and God granted them a safe journey. Another way the theology works out in this is through prayer. We've been studying through these books, and it's amazing how many times prayer comes up. Why? Because it's the Lord who's before and behind every good thing that's taking place here. Okay, now we're in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2.12. When Nehemiah secretly inspected the walls, he told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. 2.18, the hand of my God had been On me for good, 2.20, the God of heaven will make us prosper. 5.15, I did not lay a heavy tax burden on the people because of the fear of the Lord. 6.9, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. 6.16, the work was accomplished with the help of our God. Okay, what is the theology of Ezra and Nehemiah? That it is God at work before And above all the things that are taken, of all the human ingenuity and the human effort, a theology is coming through that it's the hand of the Lord that brought it about. Let's learn from this theology. Let's learn well and let's not forget it. Okay, friends, why are you here? Why are you here? How did it come about that you would be sitting in this room, singing as you do, laughing and enjoying each each other's company as you do? How did this really come about? Oh, now there was certainly human activity involved in you becoming a Christian. If, in fact, you're here this morning and you know the Lord, you went somewhere, listened to someone, you responded with faith, you prayed, you asked God to forgive you, you repented of your sin... All kinds of human effort had gone into you being here. You got out of bed this morning. Congratulations. You've made it to church today. The Bible teaches us both about God's sovereignty as well as human activity and human responsibility. So we teach both. And we talk about both. Not one without the other. Not one to the exclusion of the other. But we do see in Scripture an emphasis. An emphasis on recognizing the sovereignty of God and that's with good reason that truth is meant to shape us mold us fashion our souls so how ought we to think about God when it comes to what is accomplished in our own lives Do you mind if I read to you what might be a familiar story about Charles Spurgeon? This is his testimony. When I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And though I sought the Lord earnestly, I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I do not think the young convert is at first aware of this. I can recall the very day and hour when first I received those truths in my own soul. When there were, as John Bunyan said, burnt into my heart as with a hot iron, And I can recollect now I felt that I had grown on a sudden from a babe into a man. That I had made progress in scriptural knowledge through having found once for all the clue to the truth of God. One weeknight when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking about the preacher's sermon, for I did not believe it. Never happened here, I'm sure. The thought struck me. How did you come to be a Christian? Well, I sought the Lord. But how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. Well, I prayed, I thought. But then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading scripture. Well, how came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so, then in a moment I saw that God was at the bottom of it all. That he was the author of my faith. And so the doctrine of grace opened up to me and from that doctrine I have not departed to this day and I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. We start... First point, what did God accomplish? And while in Nehemiah 7 1, and the wall was finished, okay, no big deal, right? No, huge deal, huge deal. Main event for you, what has God done? Saved you by His grace, huge deal massive deal this is what God has done this is where we start and what is accomplished for God began with God and if we have that down we can move on to point number two and not before but then we're called to maintain what God has given Nehemiah had his role to play. He was the human instrument in building the wall. He was the project guy. He's not the maintainer of the project, okay? He was the entrepreneur. He was not the manager. You know the type. You know which one you are. You fall into one of those categories. There's the starter uppers, the entrepreneurs, the project people, uh, the new idea. Kind of, and then there's the managers, and they're rarely the same people, aren't they? But what God gives needs to be maintained. Needs to be maintained. Uh, my heart goes out to Eric. You know he lost his father recently. My my father passed away a few years ago, and uh, when he did, it was time for my mom to move from the condo into a uh, independent living facility. Which meant the kids needed to come and kind of thin out the stuff. What do you want? take it we need to thin down now what I wanted was my dad's stereo and one of the things that my dad and I shared was a love for music and my dad had a really good stereo because back in the day that's what you did you bought top-of-the-line stereo you had really big speakers you had a lot of wattage to make a lot of music and we loved it and my dad and I liked jazz and jazz music was our thing we used to go down to Chicago from Michigan and hear some big name jazz musicians and it was a memory and it was it was a lot of fun so when he passed away what was on my mind is sentimental value I, I, I want the stereo so I go out to Michigan I buy my mom's car fill it up with stereo equipment and I drive across the country and I come home and I set up the stereo and I set up the speakers and I plug it all in and I push go and Crackling, buzzing, not working, doesn't sound good. What is What is what? What is this? This was top-of-the-line stuff back in the day, and all I'm getting is static, and oh, the, the the foam cones in the speakers were corroded to dust, and every knob on the amplifier was so corroded. Every time you touched it, it crackled and made obscene sounds. And, and so... Piece after piece I'm going back to the sound shop to get this repair made and that and learning how to fix a speaker and do this and getting it all back and you'll be happy to know, praise God, it's all up and running, and it's as it should be. The last few years my dad was was ill, he didn't listen to much music, and my mom, God bless her, she hates jazz, she had no interest. <laughs> And listening to any of this stuff. She's like, well, please, when are you going to shut that stuff off? So everything sat for years, untouched, unused, unattended, not maintained. And it was time to turn it on again and listen. Virtually nothing worked. It lost all its everything. Everything that was glorious about it was gone because nobody took care of it. Nobody touched it didn't get exercised, didn't get used, didn't get maintained, didn't get cleaned. What God gives, we're called to maintain it. And so what Nehemiah does is he appoints managers. Nehemiah, God put on his heart to build the wall. He's the project guy. He completed his project. He was friends with the king of Persia. He said, let me go and just build the walls. When are you coming back? I told him a time. I'm going to come back. I'm just going to go build the walls, and I'll be back in your service. His job was done, but he appoints a couple guys to govern the city. He finds two men rightly qualified to govern the city, Hananiah and Hananiah. And what do we know about these two guys? They were faithful, and they feared God. That's it. Oh, I don't doubt these guys had some governing skills. I don't doubt they had quite the resume, but but what was he looking for? I need some men that are faithful and that fear God. Two things that qualify us for service in God's kingdom, faithfulness and having the fear of the Lord in our hearts. This is something that remains unchanged in God's kingdom, remains the same to this day. What are we looking for? What, what, what qualifies us to function really in, in any capacity in the kingdom of God, in the church, in the people of God? There, there are two qualities, two characteristics that are just simply primary, faithfulness and the fear of the Lord. Skills, and many of you have been around long enough to realize the truth of this skills are often easily learned character is often slow and hard won and these two things are the things that the lord is looking for why 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 faithfulness why fear of the lord well actually these are the two things that are primary and most honor what the giver has given to us These are the two rightful responses to what God has done. God puts his grace into our hearts, into our lives, and the most appropriate response is not, look, God, I have quite a resume. I've got quite a skill set. I've got quite a gift set that I would like to give to you. And Praise God, I'm happy for all your wonderful resumes. I don't doubt you have them. And I don't doubt your giftings are in many ways extraordinary. But but what are the things that would most honor and most reflect the grace of God bestowed on your life? To be a gifted musician, to be a gifted manager. Actually, the response of faithfulness, and the fear of the Lord best respond and best reflect what God has done in your life. If you want to grow and do something that will honor what God has done, if you recognize what God has done, that will grow up to be faithfulness and the fear of the Lord. Is there also the things that God would have Outsiders see and recognize in the people of God. He's beginning to form the people of God, their character, how they live, and what is it that He's looking for. He appoints two leaders so that this will be emulated. This will be seen, this will be valued, and this will be emulated throughout the people of God because the nations watching. The onlookers looking at the church. What does God want them to see and recognize faithfulness and the fear of the Lord? Your neighbors don't understand the message that has so gripped your heart. Jesus loves you, died for your sins. Jesus laid down his life so that you could be made right with God. I hope you're saying that to your neighbors and when you do, they give a funny look. Like, oh, really? I, I'm not sure what to do with that. But when they see you live out your life in faithfulness and the fear of the Lord, when, when they see you respond, like, I mean, the fear of the Lord, like, which, which means when God speaks, what God has said is the most important thing to me. What God says supersedes everything else. That's what the fear of the Lord looks like. I have a sense of reverence, respect, and due towards God. So when he speaks, I'm, yes, sir, absolutely. How could I respond any other way? And that's, that's visible in our lives. That's easily seen by anybody, which triggers a curiosity. Why would you do that? Why are you like that? And then the scriptures says, yeah, and be ready to tell them why you do that. Prepare for that. Prepare for that moment. Prepare, prepare for that curiosity and that question so that you can explain to someone, oh, because this is what God has done in my life. That's why I respond to God in this way. So, the managers are appointed. The governors are appointed, and they're appointed for that reason. They are faithful, and they fear the Lord. Third point, guard. You have to maintain what God has given. Thirdly, guard what God has given Having walls was necessary, and you remember in the text we read, look, okay, got the gates up, everything's there. Now, only open the gates in the heat of the day. Okay, limited access, limited time, so that you can watch and guard. Now, the walls were necessary not to isolate, but to define, to identify, to protect. Gates were necessary, because God wanted people to come and go. There needed to be comings and goings and, and interaction. It was not just build a wall, get inside, and isolate. No gates. You cannot get out. So, Hotel California, you cannot do it. You're in. You're in. You're going to stay in. Or you're going to get out. You're going to get out and you're going to be out and you're going to stay out. No. There's all kinds of gates built into the wall because that was part of what God wanted to do. The message of the city, this is the place where God dwells. This is the place where God's people live. This is the place where God's people worship, where God is at the rightful center of life in the midst of a worshiping community. The city is ultimately meant to function as an invitation to the surrounding world. Back to Isaiah 26 that I read earlier. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Open the gates. Close the gates. Guard the city. Be careful. Open the gates. Let them in. The reality about the city is that there were enemies and opposition all around that were still very, very real. So Nehemiah gives the orders monitor the gates, keep watch over the city. The completion of the walls and the gates was significant because their troubles were not over. They were simply much better prepared for them because they had walls and gates. Life, even in the city, was still fraught with dangers and ongoing opposition. It was time for them to learn the lesson that their forefathers did not get. God gives you an identity. As the people of God now protect it care for it watch over it carefully without that you're vulnerable not getting this right is what cost the city before it's why they had to clean up all the rubble and rebuild the walls because this was neglected the need to be watchful this is a New Testament command that is often throughout the New Testament I was convicted as I was kind of studying and thinking and reading more about being watchful. And it, and it challenged me because I realized how many times I do my New Testament reading and I gloss over that phrase, be watchful, take great care. And I move on too quickly without digging down and saying, okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? It means keep your eyes open for trouble in your own soul. Keep your eyes open for trouble stay awake be on high alert pay close attention take heed give earnest heed to these things these are phrases straight out of your bibles over and over again with good reason because we need to thomas brooks write: watchfulness includes waking arousing up of the soul it is continual careful observing of our hearts and ways and all the turnings of our lives that we keep close to god and his word So, okay, why? Why why are we called to protect what God gives? Is it because what God gives is so fragile? So delicate? So easily lost? Well, no, actually, not at all. The, The promises of God tell us that the work of God's grace and the deposit of the Spirit in our lives that He gives is the most resilient and most enduring of gifts. They last forever. So it's not that they're so fragile, but in that is somewhat the point of the call to be watchful. The great work of grace that God accomplishes in our hearts is proven to be great in the fact that they're given to us in the midst of powerful enemies, in the midst of a lot of opposition. What God accomplishes fills and captures us in such a way that we treasure it above all else. And so when we're told by the giver to guard the gifts of grace in our hearts, we're compelled to do so. And in so doing, we honor the giver and prove the gift to be all that it was promised to be. It's an important part of receiving this gift. Now, treasure it in such a way that you hold it with care and with diligence No, you're not casual about it. You're not leaving it aside and ignoring it and just moving on with other things. No, this, this is important. This is worth treasuring. When you're given something valuable, the amount of effort and diligence that you take to treasure what you've been given and to hold on to it and to keep it and to maintain it to adore it, to value it, it all reflects the giver, the gift. So what's happening in your heart when you treasure it and keep it and guard it and maintain it reflects a reality of what God has done. If I had asked you the simple question, what happens in a friendship, a relationship, for many of you, a marriage, when you neglect it, when you stop treasuring it, when you stop valuing it, when you stop maintaining it, when you stop guarding and protecting it, you know what happens. It begins to look less and less like a friendship. It begins to look less and less like a marriage. It begins to look less and less like it is supposed to look begins to look like something other than what it is. That's what happened with the people of God. Over time, they look less and less like the people of God. They look less and less like what they were called to be, the people of God who love their God, who worship their God, who walk in faithfulness and the fear of the Lord. These, These things drift away. And why does that happen? It, well, first, it communicates that, it, that your heart does not truly treasure or value that relationship. Isn't that what it reflects? Isn't that just a hard reality? When I pick up from my wife that we've kind of drifted apart a bit, and we have, again, one of those conversations, and I can see it in her eyes, and what is the reality that I have to come to terms with? I, get, I just didn't value it enough that other things... Preoccupied with other things. Okay, watchful against what? Who, who's, who's the enemy? Let, let's try and be clear because, man, getting this one wrong is like really bad. <laughs> I mean, we, as Christians, we, we get really ugly and, uh, when we are misguided about who the enemy is. Just so you know, it's not the person on the other side of the aisle. There's, it, you're, it's not in this room, okay? It's not, it's not somebody. And so when we get into the New Testament, we talk about our, our enemy. What, what, guard against who? Against what? And, and the New Testament lays out just a simple theology. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? Those are our enemies. The world, the flesh, and the and the devil. The, the world, of course, you know this, I'm, I know you're well taught, the use of the word world here and throughout the, the Bible has oftentimes different meanings depending on the context. In the context that I'm using it here, the world here refers to humanity in a state of rebellion against God. While it is visible people, it's more a sort of spirit of the age, a kind of force at work in and through the hearts of people that are in rebellion against God. That puts them in this category of the world, sometimes referred to as the kingdom of man. So 1 John 2 says, well, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Not to be confused with the people of the world that God loves. For God so loved the world. So you see how the Bible uses that term in different ways, in different contexts. And James chimes in as well and says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. In the context of Nehemiah, you see how the people of God made friends with the nations. We want to be like the nations. We want to be with the nations. We don't want to identify as the people of God. We want to be like all of those people. And God says, oh, friendship with them makes you an enemy with God. A temptation that we all experience. The world, the flesh, remaining indwelling sin while you and I are made new in Christ we have a new identity in him there remains in our hearts remaining indwelling sin Galatians 5 talks about this but I say walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do he's talking to Christians You have a new identity in Christ because we know our sanctification process, our growth, our maturity in the faith is all about how well are we functioning out of our new identity, living in the awareness like this is who I am now. I'm adopted into God's family, so what does a son or a daughter in God's household think like, act like, talk like, work like? It's not the old way, it's the new way. Paul speaks about this in Romans seven as well. can all relate to this. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do for crying out loud. "Oh, my soul, <laughs> who's going to rescue me? But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God. Then there's the devil. Revelation 12, that great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He's thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And here's the exhortation from Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded, be alert, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Devour, resist him. Resist him firm in your faith because God has made you new. Because God is establishing you as the people of God. And the devil out there is your enemy seeking to take you back, to devour you. We are promised the help we need to overcome it all, but we are told, we are commissioned to watch to watch okay in conclusion what God accomplishes we're called to maintain and we're called to guard I'm not suggesting that we do this alone or somehow in our own strength I don't know if you bristled a little bit when I laid out that prop statement that I'm trying to just put a bunch of human responsibility on you and you're like wait wait a minute doesn't god keep us oh absolutely absolutely the point is that we're being called to do these things and in the doing we prove the power of god's grace at work in us this is part of the package okay part of the package of god's grace in your life is this calling to watch to guard to take care It's in there, it's in the package. It's in all the aspects of the spirit at work in you. We are saved by grace and we are sanctified by grace. We will endure to the end by God's grace. But the commands of God let us know that while the power belongs to the Lord, these are things we participate in. Which is why many people go to the book of Nehemiah and say look at what a great leader he is. Because there's lots of human agency taking place there are kings of Persia that are moving things for God's glory there's Ezra preaching and teaching there's Nehemiah building and organizing all kinds of human effort is taking place but what is the theology of these books that before and above it all the hand of the Lord is at work through it all the commands and the promises of God work together hand in hand Let me close with a quote from William Gurnall in his couple volumes of The Christian in Complete Armor. He writes, You should find great strength in the encouragement, in the knowledge that your commission is divine. God himself underwrites your battle and has appointed his own son, the captain of your salvation. He will lead you on to the field with courage and bring you off with honor He lived and died for you. He will live and die with you. His mercy and tenderness to his soldiers is unmatched. Historians tell us of Trajan tore his own clothes to bind up his soldiers' wounds. The Bible tells us Christ poured out his very blood as balm to heal his saints' wounds. His flesh was torn to bind them up. So, friends... My encouragement simple as it is simple instruction but vital and important avail yourself of the grace of God and watch diligently take care for what God has done and what God has given you and deposited in your life it's part of the process and he will see you through and your response in that will give him glory and people will recognize the gift, and the giver, ultimately, because of it. Amen? Father, thank you for truth, encouragement, the Scriptures, Old Testament examples that foreshadow realities that we are living in presently. I pray that your Spirit would take something of these words and find their mark in the heart's of your people strengthen us in diligence strengthen us in watchfulness let it reflect the genuine desire in our hearts that says oh god i so treasure what you have given i want to keep watch and stay sober to give you glory in jesus name amen